You're listening to the Million Praying Moms podcast, where we believe every mom is uniquely designed by God for his purpose, but also a part of something much bigger than she could ever be alone. Authors and moms, Erin Mooring and Brooke McLaughlin. Hey, that's us. Hey, it is. We're going to help you make prayer your first and best response to the challenges of parenting. Listen in on real life conversations with the experts about real issues parents face today and learn practical ways to focus on Christ as you seek wisdom and hope for the difficult job of raising children in today's world. If you're ready to handle life with grace because you've been in the presence of God, you're in the right place. Here are your hosts, teachers, writers, speakers, moms, and lovers of all things cozy, comfortable, and coffee-related, Brooke and Erin. Hey there, friends. You're listening to episode number 21 of the Million Praying Moms podcast, where each week we're talking about the real issues Christian parents face today and equipping you to make prayer your first and best response to the challenges of parenting. This week, we're talking about helping your daughter feel braver, stronger, and smarter in an anxious world. Erin, you and I have all boy homes, and I feel like it's accurate to say that sometimes we have to be made aware of things that are affecting girls these days because that knowledge doesn't necessarily come naturally to us unless our boys are, you know, by chance old enough to be bringing girls around. True. So (laughs) if you're a boy mom like us, stick around because while you may not have to deal with this subject directly in your home, you will eventually have to deal with it indirectly because your boys will be interacting with the same girls we're describing. It's true. I don't even want to talk about it just yet, but I can already (laughs) see it happening. I totally hear you. And we just had a conversation with our our guests today before we went live. And she assured us that a lot of the information we're going to talk about today applies to raising boys as well. So if you don't have any girls in your home, this episode still really applies to you. She says that childhood anxiety rates are soaring, absolutely soaring, especially among girls. And she should know because she counsels them and their families every day in her practice outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Because this issue is at epidemic levels, we thought it was important to dedicate an entire episode to helping parents know what contributes to anxiety and worry and how they can empower their daughters to overcome their fears. When Sissy Goff speaks, we like to listen. She's a veteran counselor and the director of child and adolescent counseling at Daystar Counseling Ministries in Nashville, Tennessee. Since 1993, she has been helping girls and their parents find confidence in who they are and hope in who God is making them to be, both as individuals and as families. She's the author of several books, all of which you should read, definitely, including the one we're diving into today, Raising Worry-Free Girls. Sissy, we are so glad to have you on the show today. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry. I am so glad to be back with y'all. It's so fun to get to talk to you again. So you said it really well. I have been counseling girls, I think, for 27 years now. Wow. That's amazing. It, I know it just makes me feel so old at this point. <laughs> wise. Um, How about it makes you feel wise? Or that's something. really kind. That's Experienced. Kind. There you go. There you go. Um, but yes, it's a really cool place where I get to work. And, and y'all know a lot about Daystar, but we're in a little yellow house with a white picket fence. And we take our dogs to work every day. And we have 13 counselors on staff and now 1,600 families that are in counseling at Daystar. Amazing. Which is crazy. Yes. And 
Um, and so I feel very privileged to get to do that every day. And out of that, I've gotten to write some books and do some traveling and speaking and that kind of thing. Often with my counterpart, David Thomas, who y'all know well too. And yes, another good friend of us here. Yes. Yeah. yes. We talk about being Donnie and Marie, but people don't even know who that is anymore. Oh, I totally know who I that, mean, that is. Yeah. If I don't, don't know that, then I'm going to feel really old. So. <laughs> That's good. We literally, when we would speak, we used to take a picture of them and put it up on the thing. And now it's like people's faces are just blank. <laughs> oh, well, we get the reference and we are okay. happy to have both of you uh, as friends of our ministry here. Good. Well, absolutely. absolutely. I think my favorite part of what you guys do is that you take your dogs to work. That really we're a dog family, and I love that. There's so many good things about that. We could oh, we could probably spend an entire show talking about the benefits of having dogs. Yes. I, we talk about it all the time. It's one of my favorite things. I mean, really, probably several times a month, somebody comes up and says, I got a dog because of you, because we talk about it so much. It's important. Cats, I guess, too. But it makes, and too, counseling so scary for kids so often that to have dogs in our practice just disarms them in a great way immediately. The transition. Yeah, I yeah. love that so much. And I'm the one thinking, I want to visit this yellow house with a white picket oh, fence because no. that yeah, sounds so cute. It'd be so fun. <laughs> well, we have to make a trip there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Decided. Perfect. I have very good friends in the area. I'll just stay with them. It'll be all good. So we'll make that happen. <laughs> all right. Let's dive in because there's so much good stuff to talk about today. In the introduction to your book, Sissy, you make a pretty bold statement as I see it. You say, when I first started counseling probably one out of every 20 kids coming in was dealing with anxiety. I mean, one in 20 is still, you know, I mean, that's still one life out of 20 and, and yes. you know, definitely worth looking into, but it's really changed now. Um, you're saying that at least 16 of every 20 new appointments that you all have are for that reason. I'd love for you to talk to us about this trend among girls specifically and what you're seeing in your office that supports that. It, I mean, it really is crazy. And that's one of the benefits of having counsel, counseled all these years is I do see a lot of trends. And one is this. I mean, probably the most prevalent of any trend I see is this. And 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 it's not just Daystar. I mean, statistically in America, it's now one in four kids and girls are twice as likely to deal with it as boys. Wow. And so it's just so prevalent um, and, and, and often debilitating. It feels like it's getting to that point with kids today too. And, and, you know, I think we could talk about it in a lot of different capacities. I mean, there's so many different things that go into it. Um, but genetically that's a piece of it. And I think we'll talk probably more about that today, but if you have anxiety at all as a parent, then your child is seven times more likely to deal with it themselves. Wow. Yeah. That, that is something I had not heard before. That's yeah. That's a big number. Yeah. That's a big so, number. So where is this coming from? Why do girls, you know, what do they have to be anxious about that we didn't 20 years ago? Why, why the increase in the anxiety? Well, you know, I think the first thing most people jump to is technology and social media. And, and social media is absolutely a component of it because I think it just increases the pressure that girls already feel. But the average age of onset, different theorists kind of disagree on this, but somewhere between six and eight. And so that's way before we're talking about social media, way yeah. before that. And I, I think there's just, I think girls today, 
you know, we live in an age, there's so many things that kids are aware of that we, y'all are a lot younger than I am, but you know, we just didn't think about, didn't know about when we were growing up. We just didn't know it was happening. And their eyes have been opened, I think, culturally to a lot of things that they just feel pressure in ways they didn't. And, you know, along the lines of those statistics, I've gotten to where if I sit with a family and they're first born as a girl, I just pretty much assume often she's going to be anxious. I mean, I just think that pressure that girls live, live with and typically firstborns is, I mean, I think we felt it. I don't know if y'all were firstborns, so but I think we felt it growing up, but I think it's so much worse than it's ever been. That's really interesting. I am, I'm a firstborn, firstborn girl in my family. And I am, you know, I've, I've talked to my kids about this before that, you know, in our house, we lived in a safe neighborhood, safe town. My room was on the corner of the house and that was like at the corner of a street. So, um, I heard every car that went by everybody that walked by. And I did, I, I would lay in bed and be like, what is that sound? Like I was, yeah. I was very nervous about every sound I heard and all of that. And I feel like, um, you know, when I met Jesus and, and knew how to pray through it, it got better. But the more I'm on social media, the more that comes back. And I, I can tell, like I can tell that those feelings of worrying about every little thing come back even stronger when, when I'm on too much social media. And so it's no wonder that our kids that that's where they find their community are dealing with that same thing at a heightened level. Because at, at that young age, when I was laying in bed thinking, ah, what's that sound? I didn't have any idea what was going on in the world to make me think those things. It was my own thoughts. It was not because I watched too much news or I was on Facebook and or Twitter and hearing all the bad things in the world. It was just in inside of me. So to have that access to the news, access to what everyone else thinks of each other all the time, obviously that's going to escalate things to a whole different level. Right. Yes. Yeah. I was, one of the things I was thinking of was just that awareness component. Um, you know, there, even just about what's happening in the world, not, not what's happening necessarily or, or only in the lives of their peers or in the lives of, you know, the people that they esteem, but just what's happening in the world. I was clueless when I was, you know, I remember now that I'm going to date myself right now. I remember I was about 12 years old when desert storm happened Mm -hmm. and my dad was still active in the military and there was this chance that he was going to be deployed. And I remember it was this big deal in our family because my mom was very upset about it. And, you know, I have an older brother. We were all aware of it. And I think it was the first time that I really have an awareness of being worried about my family. But that was like, I didn't even know what was going on in the world. The only reason I had any awareness of that whatsoever was because it affected my family directly. Had right. It happened. I probably still wouldn't have been that aware because I didn't have news at my fingertips. I didn't, you know, I just didn't have that component that we have now. So I wonder how much that plays into some of their anxiety as well. Oh, a ton. And the, the way, and y'all may know this, but I mean, the way that I talk about anxiety with kids is that it's like the one loop roller coaster at the fair, that they get something in their head and it just spins around and around and around and they can't get it out of their little heads. And they don't know this is anxiety. They don't understand what's happening to them. And, and years ago, I talked to a psychiatrist who said to me, 
basically whatever a child is most fearful about developmentally, which is why we see separation anxiety with little ones. Whatever's the scariest thing they can imagine happening at their age, that's what they get stuck on. And so in the book, you know, I talk about kind of typical developmental fears and how at different ages I see these trends and what they're anxious about. So one of the things with elementary age kids, um, I would say eight years ago, and I still see this some, but eight years ago, I would see kids who were anxious about throwing up. Because, you know, that's the scariest thing you can imagine happening. And it would literally shift from something bad happening to my mom or dad to then they'd move into this time of I'm going to get sick. And it's often kids who don't throw up regularly. They've thrown up maybe once. And then they're just stuck in this loop about throwing up. So, and then what happens is they move out of it and often into something else, which we can talk about that too, how kids kind of, why they jump from one to the next. But in the last year, y'all, I think it's really in the last year, one of the loops I've seen among elementary age kids is about suicide. And so they've heard about suicide somewhere in their community. Mm -hmm. When we were eight, we had never heard of suicide unless, like you said, it had touched an immediate family mm -hmm. member. But now, so what's happening, I'm going to give, I'm going to kind of sideline to explain how this happened. So the first child I ever saw who did this, hers was about cheating. And what happened was she was really conscientious, tried really hard. And so she came to me one day and said, I think I cheated today. Well, this kid was so honest and I knew she wouldn't cheat. But she said, I was sitting in my desk. And I really don't want to cheat. I don't want to do anything wrong. And she said, I glanced over at my friend's desk. And, and then I thought, oh, no, did I just cheat? I don't want to look at their, I don't want to look at her paper. And she said, and then I looked over that much more. And then I thought, oh, no, I cheated. I cheated. Oh, my goodness, I cheated on the test. I cheated on the test. And went up to her teacher and confessed that she had cheated on this test. Oh, and so God. it's like, it just gets stuck. And so what happens now often is we will see a kid who, Somebody at school mentioned suicide. They didn't know what it was. It sounded super scary. And they think, I'm really mad at my mom. I just, I don't know what to do. I want to, maybe that means I want to kill myself. Oh no, I want to kill myself. I want to kill myself. And then they go to their parents crying and say, I think I want to kill myself. And then the parent is panicked, you know, brings their child to counseling and says, they're even talking about ending their life, which you know, regardless, we want to pay attention to that anytime a child says it. But I think that's a great picture of that would have never entered those kids' minds 20 years ago. But now because they've been exposed to it and heard about it, that's one of the things that they loop around, which is tragic. That that really is. We've even seen that in our house with a, like um, there was a tornado nearby that was close to some friends of ours. And I mean, we live in the Midwest. That's you know, there's tornado warnings, there's storms, sure. all that. Our house was struck by lightning when, when he was a baby. So he doesn't even remember it. But I mean, for me, it caused kind of that, like anytime lightning comes up, I get kind of nervous, which I loved storms before that happened. But it like having it actually hit yeah. your house, yeah. Trauma. you know, like that affected us. Okay. Well, this tornado came near us and it started a loop for that rest of that summer are there storms tonight? Like stomach hurting, worried about that because yeah. he couldn't stop thinking about how close these tornadoes were to our friends. And like, that is exactly how it is. It, I could tell it was just mm -hmm. a loop in his mind. If I'm going to bed, I need to know whether there are storms tonight or I can't go to sleep or my stomach yeah. hurts because I'm afraid there will be a storm tonight. Yes, exactly. Which is one of the dangers because 
what it is, is it's worry. It's not the storm. Right. So one of the mistakes that theorists say is we fall into as adults, which is part of why I think it's not getting better is we fall into what they call the content trap. And so we respond about the storms or we respond about the throwing up or whatever it is. And then they move out of that developmentally and it moves into the next thing rather than teaching them how to respond just to their worry and teaching them that they can fight the worry back rather than the one thing that happens to be looping at that point. That's really good. That's a great point. It really is. And it leads me nicely into our next question because what you've said is you don't feel like we as adults are doing a great job of helping them. And I wonder if that is because we have not done a great job of understanding how to help ourselves with anxiety and worry that we deal with. So you said that you said at the beginning of the show that there is a genetic component. Talk to us about what that looks like and how we help our kids if we need help ourselves. Well, I would say two primary ways I see that impact kids. One is that if parents struggle with anxiety, research says that those parents tend to do things like use more catastrophic language. I don't even think on purpose, but like, that's terrible, or that's the worst thing I can imagine happening. And all of a sudden, when a child wouldn't be fearful of something, it pops into their head that maybe I should be. And so that's a good thing to be aware of is kind of checking ourselves around kids of what am I communicating? How am I responding when a scary situation does come up as it's going to come up a million times in their lives. And so that's a piece of it. But I think even more so what I'm seeing in my counseling office is, you know, we're still, again, y'all are in a different generation than I am, but I think we're still on the tail end of growing up with parents who were really well-meaning, but probably didn't do a lot of counseling themselves. And so weren't as aware. And so I'm seeing a lot of parents who say things like, well, I can tell by her behavior that she's really anxious because that's exactly what I was doing. And my parents never understood. Right. So those parents are overcompensating to some degree. And I think doing what they wish their parents had done with them, which is a whole lot of listening, which is obviously really important. Yeah. A lot of stepping in, wanting to help their kids work through it. But what's happening is like in the book, I have it broken down into understanding help and then hope. And the understanding is so important. We always want to start. Y'all have heard David and I probably both talk about that a million times. Like we always want to start with empathy with kids. But if we only stay there, then we're not teaching them to work through the scary thing. And, and that's the bottom line is to work through anxiety. Any of us have to do the thing that we're afraid of. And so we're seeing more and more parents who the child comes up against whatever it is and the parent just pulls them from the situation. And obviously means so well, like I want to help them. I don't want them to feel this, but then they're not learning to work through it rather than teaching them with, support what it looks like to work through it. And again, I think it's part of the, we think they're going to grow out of it or, you know, they're going to figure it out on their own, but, but anxiety untreated only gets worse. You know, that's that's a great point. It really is a great point. I know we, I can relate to that as a parent because last year, one of my two children had an extremely tough school year and there were so many times when I just wanted to remove him. You know, like I just, my mother's heart was just like, oh, of course. Oh, I just want to pull him out and, and, you know, have him safe at home. But my, my husband, you know, praise the Lord for, for 
sound mind when, when I can't have that. Um, he, he kept saying, Brooke, we can't pull him out. We have to allow him to work through this. It's, it's important that he finish this. He needs to have closure. He needs, you know, those kind of things. And so I think we probably are a generation in some ways, and maybe this is true of every generation about the one before it, is that we right. spend a lot of our time responding to what we see as a lack in what came before us. And then we maybe sometimes overcompensate um, in our own parenting. I I was going to say that it took a lot of growing and maturing for me to stop praying for God to take me out of situations that were causing it and to start praying for me to trust him more in those situations because like they're not just going to go away. We're not just going to have all the bad stuff in the world end and that's how that's how God's going to fix it all. He wants us to trust him, but that I mean I'm 30 eight. I don't know. How old am I? 38 years old. (laughs) I don't even remember. Yeah. Um, and it's taken me this long to get to that point where I, when I am laying in bed, worrying about something that I finally pray, Lord, help me trust you so that I don't worry, not take away this thing that I'm worrying about because I can't take away all the stuff that my kids are going through. I don't even know what they're going through right at this very moment because I'm not there, but he does. And, but like it took me 38 years to get there and it's still a work in progress. Mm-hmm. So um, I know that I have to be conscious about that with my kids as well in saying like, I can't fix this for you, but Jesus can help you. Mm-hmm. And also the whole idea that we can't remove all these bad things from their lives because there's just going to be something else that comes in unless we help them work through it. And I love that idea. Okay. So you mentioned in the book, this worry continuum. Yes. And falling on, a, you know, all of us are somewhere on that. Can you explain that a little more? Cause I'm fascinated by that idea. Well, I mean, I, th- I love that you said that you were the oldest cause I, I, I don't know if you're type A at all, but I mean, I would sometimes, say, but sometimes not. My husband would say no, but everybody else would say yes. So <laughs> isn't that funny? Huh? Well, so, and I don't know if y'all are Enneagram people, but I mean, I think anybody who's an Enneagram one type A has bottom line anxiety. But I think, again, we probably weren't in counseling when we were kids. And so that's how we learned to work through our anxiety. We just never knew to call it that. And so, I mean, I think anybody who is really probably honestly a well-functioning adult has some degree is somewhere on the worry continuum. And I think every kid growing up, I don't know how you would sit in school and be taught how to handle a lockdown in case an intruder comes in your school. You know, I, I don't know how they grow up in this world without falling somewhere on this worry continuum. And so in light of that, that's why, I mean, when, um, when I wrote this book, I, I fought the editor on what to call it because, and y'all have heard David and I probably both talk about this, but, you know, I think we're also living in this age where we're over-diagnosing kids and kids are now diagnosing themselves. And so I sit with kids all the time who say they have anxiety or girls daily who said, I've, I had a panic attack today and I don't sound very compassionate in response to them sometimes because I'll say, so no one can breathe when they cry hard. That's not a panic attack. But what they say to me, I mean, I remember specifically sitting in the room with a group of high school girls who said, Sissy, if you say to somebody else at school, I'm stressed, no one will pay any attention to you. 
And so they're having to use words like anxiety. I have kids now who are diagnosing themselves with PTSD. You know, they don't, they don't know what that means, but they feel like they have to use these words because everyone else is. And so I even want to get back to just calling it worry. That's why I wanted to call it raising worry-free Amen. kids. And because we want to be on the front end of how do we teach preventative measures? Because again, we become adults and we don't have any idea what to do with it. And so how do we help them early on? So when the worries do come, like you said, they'll know what to do with it and how to handle it. I love that you brought up the Enneagram. That's speaking my language because I love that stuff. I am actually a seven, but that means when I'm unhealthy, when I'm unhealthy, I go to a one. And that's when I can tell when I am worrying a lot, I get very rigid about things, very perfectionist. And I know that I have drifted into an unhealthy place for me that I am trying to do it all myself and not relying Mm. on the Lord. I know that when I'm relying on the Lord and trusting in him and, and leaving these big things that I'm worrying about in his hands, I will move more towards my normal happy seven place that wants to do all the things and have all the fun and all of that stuff. But like I can tell, and it, it happens more often with now that I have children, like I am sure. I wish I would have had the Enneagram a little earlier and that insight that the Lord gave me through that um, because I would say, hey, when you are getting like that, that's an unhealthy place for you. That is not where I have you operating. My husband is a one, but that's his healthy place. Like Mm -hmm. that's, you know, like it's good for him in in doing that and it doesn't cause worry. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't lead to that because that's who God made him to be for me it gets me in a really unhealthy place and it affects my kids then as well when I'm around them. And I love that you said that because I think people who would never have considered themselves anxious become parents and become anxious. Oh, you love them more than anger. Same thing with, you know, all of those things. (laughs) They just bring out all those wonderful things in you, don't they? (laughs) Yep. Yep. So, okay. So that's, that's good to know. And I think that's, I love that both you and David talk about the fact that we just need to get back to calling it worry because not all of it is anxiety. Some right. of it is, some of it definitely is. And, but we do yes, need and we don't get back that. to the baseline of this is just worry and we can work through this and, and that's okay. So um, on that note, what are some signs parents should be looking for to know whether or not what they are seeing in their girl and their daughter is an anxiety problem that needs professional help or what is worry that, that they can pray through and talk through with them? Well, and, and honestly, in either place, I would, I mean, I, I hate to be so like buy my book because that feels so silly to do. But even, I mean, before I wrote this book, there was another book we would refer to a lot that I liked, but it was really long and it didn't address anything spiritually. And when people would call me, I would say, okay, so the deal about worries and anxiety is that there's a lot you can do at home. And so I would say, I mean, literally talk to people on the phone from my office and say, I want you to buy this book. I want you to try these things at home first for about three months. If you see no difference, then bring your child in to see me. And so I I joke about that in the introduction to the book. Like my hope is this book will work me out of a job. (laughs) Because there's so much and, and it helps kids. I mean, really 
if one of you were to bring your child to see me dealing with anxiety, I would immediately bring you right back up into my office because I would teach them coping skills and then I would want them to teach you coping skills. And so to do those things together and for them to teach you and to lead the way kind of empowers them anyway and it makes them feel like I've got this. And so I, I, there's this Raising Worry-Free Girls book and then I have a book for elementary age girls that was supposed to come out at the same time and there was a publishing snafu and so it's now coming out in December but it's called Braver, Stronger, Smarter for elementary age girls and it's just really teaching them a lot of the stuff that they can do at home. Again, hopefully they don't even, I mean counseling's great but hopefully they don't have to do it. You know, they can figure this stuff out on their own and then even feel more like I can do it on my own, you know. But, okay, back to your question. So a few things I would say. One, you said it before when you were talking about your son, but if there's repetitive questions, if they're coming to you and you can tell they're looping because they're saying, you know, is there a storm coming? When's the storm coming? What are we going to do in the storm? Or even what's our schedule? What are we doing next? What's our plan tonight? When are we going to see, you know, whatever that is. When's dad coming home? Anything that they're looping about, like in the book, I talk about setting a maximum amount of questions a child can ask you about the same subject because we're falling into the content trap in that. So looping questions would be one. Another is a child who has so often it comes out in their bodies. And so a child who's having repetitive stomach aches, headaches. I see a lot of kids like that in my office and the parents will say, we went to the pediatrician repetitively and they finally said, it's not a medical issue. And so a child who's having that kind of chronic health problem, or if you see it every Sunday night, or you see it before a certain test, or, you know, there's patterns in what you're seeing in that. That would be one with parents of toddler age kids. And again, this is boys and girls. Most parents that I sit with who have really angry little girls, the more we talk, the more it will come down to their patterns in their anger explosions. And it's often if there's some kind of transition happening or they're supposed to do something quickly, like I need you to go brush your teeth right now on a dime, that child's going to explode or they don't understand that the plan changes. They thought something was going to happen today and now the plans change and they just have a total meltdown. And, and again, I think if we go back to that average age of onset of six or eight, those kids don't have words yet to say, I feel worried about the fact that you just changed my schedule. That makes me feel like things are unpredictable. You know, they don't, they can't get there. And so that's one of the reasons in the girls book, we, there's a feelings chart and back to Brooke, what you were saying about dogs. So the book stars, my little dog, Lucy, and the feelings chart is actually Lucy faces. And so she has oh, I love it. what they're feeling. I know because when they don't, find their way. We talk about this in Are My Kids on Track? When kids can't find their way to appropriate language expression, it shifts a different direction. And so often, and I think with girls, that's part of the prevalence of girls and anxiety is I think it's kind of a nice girl's emotional outlet because they don't want to get angry. They don't want to say this friend hurt my feelings. And so it just comes out as anxiety often. That's so insightful. Even as you're talking, I'm thinking back through my own childhood and, and you know, where i have been able to have the hindsight now as an adult to look back and say, you know what, these were my trouble spots. This is how I reacted 
um, kind of this was kind of my norm and and how I would react to stress in the moment and and those kind of things. So it's really so insightful, uh, I think, for the adults that are listening as well as you know knowing how to help their kids. We're learning how to help ourselves too. One of the things that I really love the most about uh, you and David and the other experts at Daystar is that you look at the issues our children are facing today from a biblical perspective as well. You know, you mentioned that you'd have that book for years, but it doesn't have a spiritual component. And and we know that you cannot completely diagnose or help the issue unless we look at the whole person. And so one of the things that you talk about in the book is that, um, and I just loved this quote, this would be a direct quote. It says, we want their spiritual lives to be the ballast that anchors them when emotions toss them about. As a counselor, however, I would say that is happening to a lesser and lesser degree among kids than ever before. And that really caught my attention because I think it might be true even in well-meaning Christian homes who are not doing this as well uh, as we could be. And I'd love to know why you think that is and what we can do about it. Yes, that is something that has felt really tragic to me in the last few years is it feels like kids are like we talked about, they're using this emotional language now. And, and I think probably understand they have more self-awareness than generations before, but it's like their emotional lives in are are in one lane and their spiritual lives are in a totally different lane. And it, it, they don't seem, we want their faith to inform their emotions and it doesn't feel like that happens, which just makes me so sad. And and part of it is one of the very things that we were talking about. The, the verse I used to kind of anchor that whole last section of the book, Hope, is in John about in this world we will have trouble. But when Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome the world. And, and part of it is I think we are leaving out in this world you will have trouble. You know, I think that whole, I don't even know what era it was that we would talk about the prosperity gospel. But I feel like that shifted in what that looks like. And, and I'm going to call us out on it as women. I think we're the worst. And I think, I think sometimes it's social media. Like I think even the things we're putting up about living my best life and the t-shirts that say best day ever, all that stuff. I'm living my best day ever for five minutes in a day in a fallen world at the most. True story. Yes. And I, I just, just want like, you to preach that. Like, go, go with that. <laughs> me sad because I think when we're acting like life's so awesome and we're doing you know it's amazing all the time and fun all the time and their experiences in this world you will have trouble and we're not speaking to that then they're going to attach to and you can tell I'm working with adolescent girls but they're going to attach to things like perks of being a wallflower or these books and movies that that portray the angst that they're feeling because we're not talking about it and, and we should be. I mean, that's, that's on us because it's right there in Scripture. And the fact that then Jesus goes on to say, but take heart has so much more power in light of he just said in this world you will have trouble. Mm-hmm. And so when we go back to that and we're speaking to that in a way that I think can, can make them trust God because I think it's almost limiting their trust in him because we're not reflecting the truth that he did share and spread. I think it also goes back to what you said about how we're trying to save our kids from things that, you know, like we're trying to be their savior in so many situations. I, I feel that tendency. Like I hear about something that they're struggling with and I want to fix it for them rather than telling them, you know, time to pray about it, time to, you know, go to Jesus and 
ask him how to, you know, help you work through this. And, and instead of being their savior point, we need to be pointing them to Jesus as their savior. And like, I see it all over my Christian mom friends, including me. I, I, that's just our tendency right now. And we can't be pointing them to Jesus to save them when we're saving them all the time. Yes. Very well said. I love that. Yeah. Oh, this is so good. I, I feel like you're counseling me right now. Like, <laughs> well, we need to, we need to tell everybody, listen to this podcast for counseling about your daughters and for yourself. <laughs> Cause it really is. It's speaking to things like Brooke said that I'm reliving, reliving, from my own childhood. And even now, like thinking about, do I get stuck in loops sometimes, you know, like, and how do I get out of them? Am I teaching my kids how to get out of those when they start to worry about something? And if they don't verbalize it, they might still be going through it, you know, like, exactly. um, You know, I'm myself and the, the child I was mentioning earlier, talk about things a lot, but not all of them do. Like not everybody in our family talks about what they're worrying about. So you have to look for other things that, like you said, medical thing, things that look medical or physically wrong that might just be a signal of that worry. So really, really good stuff. So the focus of our ministry here at Million Praying Moms is to help parents make prayer their first and best response to the challenges of parenting. Can you list a few things that parents need to be praying about or for their daughters as they're trying to deal with the epidemic of anxiety? Yes. So, I, I mean, I love what you've said. I mean, I think, I, this is going to sound crazy, but I think I would be praying, one, for opportunities where they can learn to trust God, which is a scary prayer because that often comes in our heart and in our struggles. Um, But I think that would be an important thing to pray because you want them to have those opportunities while they're at home and that you can work through it, not rescue them from it, but that you can work through it and listen and provide support in the midst of that and pray with them. I think that would be one and that they would learn what trust in them looks like. I mean, those would probably be the two most important things. And then I think as, as a parent to pray for yourself that you can stop yourself. I mean, honestly, that he would give you self-control in letting them enter into the struggle themselves and that you would have the kind of message. My favorite story, probably I've heard somebody say in the last five years, is a friend of mine said, when I was growing up, I wish my mom had said to me, you've got this more than let me get this for you. Oh, that's good. And so to, to pray that God would keep putting on your hearts how to communicate, you've got this, you've got this, you've got this, you and Jesus have this, you know, that, that yeah. we go back to that over and over with kids. Um, our, our author friend, Lisa Bergren, has a book called Upside Down Prayers for Your Children. I, I'm not sure if I got the title exactly right, but it's a whole bunch of prayers about them experiencing things that will help them you know, lean on God more. And they're, they're rough things to pray. Like, I don't want to pray that they would have a friendship end that was devastating to them, but it's going to happen. And they need to know how to work through that with Jesus. And like, when you said that, I just thought of that, like, those are really hard things to pray, but they're really good things. And you want them to experience that now, like when you can be there and pray through it with them instead of 
when they're out of the house and, and, and yes. don't have, and haven't had that opportunity to trust Jesus. Yes. I, I had the amazing opportunity to go two years ago to the Amazon, which is interesting in light of what else has been going on down there. But I spoke at a jungle pastors conference wow. down there, which was so cool. I mean, these people traveled 24 hours by boat to get to this conference for a few days. And, and it, and we would sit down and have small groups with different ones. And, and the rates of depression were really high. I mean, you can imagine addiction. I mean, those kind of things. They're going into their churches with machetes to clear out the snakes that have come in during the floods. You know, that kind of thing. But they were not anxious. No one talked about anxiety in this place because I think the degree that they had to trust God took away their anxiety. And I think that's part of where we miss it is is we don't so often. I don't so often. And like you said, that's when I get anxious. That's when it starts to spin. I think maybe one of the best takeaways today for us as parents is that we've got to stop trying to take away their moments of learning how to cope with different things. Mm. The way that we feel about our children, our love for them, our desire to protect them is not wrong, but we can't allow it to steal from them the life experiences that they need to be able to cope with the things that come in their lives. Ooh, that's a good word, steal. That's a good word. Yeah, yeah. So um, we always like to wrap up our shows by asking our guests to share one verse or passage that they're currently praying for the children in their lives. And Sissy, we know you have a lot of children in your life. So what are the prayers that are currently on your heart for this generation of, of kids that you get to work with day in and day out? So I think my prayer would be from a verse in First John that I love. And it feels like in working with girls, this is the verse I go back to more than anything else. And it's First John 3, 18 through 20. And it says, my dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we're living truly, living in God's reality. Mm-hmm. It's also the way to shut down debilitating self-criticism, even when there's something to it. For God is greater than our worried hearts and knows more about us than we do ourselves. Oh, Sissy, I love that so much. That would be my heart's cry every day, not just for my kids, but for myself. Lord, help us live in your reality. Yes, yes. And love out of that. Oh, it's so good. And and not to, because the things that we can see around us are not the whole picture. They're not the truth. If that's all we're looking at, then we're walking around like a blind person without their glasses on. We've got to have the truth of God's word to help us see things the way they really are, or we can't do what the rest of the verse says. That is such a perfect, perfect verse. Love it. I love how beautifully the message puts that because I have read that verse before, but not in that context. And that just spoke really strongly to me as well. So um, just an encouragement that there's all sorts of things from God's word that we can pull out that, that sound different in different translations. And he's using all of it to speak to us. And we are thankful for that. Sissy, we are thankful that you joined us today. We always love having you. Tell our listeners where they can learn more about you and connect with you online. Raisingboysandgirls.com is our website, or we are on Instagram. Well, we have an account that's Raising Boys and Girls that's the three of us, David and Melissa Trevathan, who's our executive director, and myself. And then I have my own account, Sissy Goff. And and right now, I'm trying to put up a lot of stuff about anxiety videos that help, different things parents can do with kids, that kind of thing. want to be helping as much as possible fight this worry monster that's so prevalent. 
Awesome. We're so grateful that you've decided to enter the battle for it. Really, you're going to impact generations in such a positive way. And we're glad that you were with us today. That's it for today, friends. We want to encourage you to come back next week for a follow-up episode with Sissy, where we're going to be tackling the impact of what we call reality living on our kids and helping them find their worth in Christ instead of clicks. As always, you can find any specifics from our show in our show notes at millionprayingmoms.com, including a link to go order Sissy's book right now, Raising Worry-Free Girls, Helping Your Daughter Feel Braver, Stronger, and Smarter in an Anxious World. Tune in next week for another episode of the Million Praying Moms podcast. Jesus wants our fears to launch us toward faith. Then he grins and says, do you trust me? Because together... We can do this. With Mornings with Jesus, you can start your day in a positive way. Find hope through inspirational stories and scripture. Go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Mornings with Jesus. You can also download the Abide app for biblical meditations at abide.com.